Good morning, everyone. I would like to move forward in this, uh, really this heart place that Lori so beautifully created with her song. Truly, it brought up joy, it brought up happiness in me, and I want to personalize that in an even more impactful way for you all. So if you're willing, close your eyes, and if you would, imagine in time in your life when you have been the most happy yourselves. Now, it may have been a sense of quiet joy, like what Lori described, but you know, it could have also been a sense of boisterous joy. It could have been an exciting kind of joy. Each one of us, I think, has that ability and that way of expressing and feeling joy, of feeling happiness in our own special way. And I want you to think of a time in your life when you felt the happiest, when you felt the joyest. And ask yourself and and think to yourself about what's going on when that joyous moment, that joyous time was occurring. Is it with people? Is it a a kind of a quiet joy that maybe you experience by yourself? Is it um, an outrageous joy of of being and doing? Or is it a, a quiet and peaceful sense of bliss, of just existence? Whatever it was, I want you to hold it in your head. Hold it in your forefront of your heart even right now and kind of feel the feelings that you felt in that moment. It could have been your wedding day. It could have been a, um, a very special moment or a special birthday. But hold that feeling, whatever it is, in your mind and even amplify it if you can. Think, think as though you're experiencing that right now, that same heartfelt sense of, of joy, of excitement, of happiness. Just bring it into your mind, bring it into your heart, and just rest there for a moment. Personalize that idea of joy. What does it feel like? Okay, you can open your eyes. Didn't that feel sweet? Isn't it nice to know that even though you might be removed from time and space, from distance, and even the people that might have been in that moment, that still, through the power of your own mind, you can bring that thought, even bring that same feeling up again, if you will. You can feel that same joy that you felt once upon a time. What this is, among other things, of course we could talk about brain chemistry and, you know, some of the, I don't know, the physiological reasons that we can do that, but what I like about being able to do that is it's what, something that Ernest Holmes a long time ago called building a mental equivalent. What it is in your own head, it's a sort of an archetype, if you will, of happiness. And what it represents, I think, to me, is that any time we choose, we have the capability of using that same mental equivalent for bringing more joy into our lives. Now, of course, we don't always, we're not always called to bring forth that idea of joy. And in fact, from time to time, it's kind of hard-pressed to find it, if you know what I mean. There are days when, when when that beautiful moment couldn't be further from our thoughts. But nonetheless, I would suggest we have the capability of experiencing joy when we choose, just like we did then. We have that capability. Ernest Holmes also said that we cannot experience something in the real world unless it's built into 
our mental equivalent. We can't experience a certain kind of joy or a certain kind of love unless we know what it is, unless we understand it. And I want to illustrate this through a, a story that, um, that happened to me in life. Many of you know that I used to do foster care for teenagers. It was, it was a while ago, but I had a number of teenage foster kids moving through my life, even brought them on Sunday sometimes, and it was kind of fun. But I remember in particular one young woman, she was uh, 14, I think, named Yolanda. And Yolanda, when she came to stay with me, had never slept in a bed before. And Yolanda had never had her own room before. And so it was interesting. She came to me, and her teacher had said, well, she's not very good at school, and she always looks like she hasn't slept. And, uh, you know, there were dark circles under her eyes. And I thought, well, maybe, literally, she isn't sleeping very well. And so we talked about it a little bit. She was used to sleeping on the sofa at her grandma's house, and there was always activity going on there. And literally, what I learned to believe was she probably was living on about four hours of sleep a night because she would need to be the first one up in order to have showers and stuff before the other family got up so she could still make it for school. So she was going to bed about 2 a.m., getting up about 6 a.m. It's like, no wonder she was having trouble in school. And I thought, oh, well, this is easy. She's got her own room while she's with me. She can go to bed whatever time she wants. She'll get a full night's sleep, no problem. Yeah, some of you are going, well, wait a minute. How did the, exactly how did that work out? The trouble was, Yolanda had no mental equivalent of what a good night's sleep was. Yolanda had no idea, really. In fact, she said it creeped her out to be in a room by herself at night. And so what we worked on was getting her used to the idea that she could have privacy, that she could have a room where her stuff could be in, and, 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 she, and she could you know, have the, the privacy and dignity of having her own room and having her own stuff and, and a place where she could have some privacy. We, we worked even on the bed thing, and, and, and finally what we got around there was we put a small TV in her room, not because she wanted to watch TV at night, but because if we turned it on and it had a little timer so the TV could play for like an hour and then go off, that helped her go to sleep. She was used to having hustle and bustle in her house and the idea of a quiet room was literally creepy to her at first. It took about a month before Yolanda was getting a regular amount of sleep again. She had to build, if you will, a mental equivalent about what a good night's sleep was. She had to have some experience in having her own room. She had to understand the benefits even of having some privacy when she wanted it in a place where she could go and close the door. It was totally unfamiliar to her. Initially, it was creepy to her. We're all Yolanda. Now, it may not be about sleeping on the sofa, it may not be about needing noise in our room, but each of us has a mental equivalent about what life is like. And I would suggest to you that in our own hearts, if someone presented us with our own room or a better way of being, do you know what would happen? We would think it was creepy. We would think that the better, nicer, more loving, more gracious, you know, more fuller way of being, the greater joy, the greater happiness, it would look foreign to us. And we would just sail right on by. Many of us wouldn't even notice it. We would go, my own bedroom? Hmm. What do I want that for? My own joy? My own promotion? Hmm. 
I'm not even going to see that they have the job ad out that's for a better pay and a better job. That's not for me. I'm not going to get that job. Why would I even bother to apply for it? The good that's in our lives is there if we don't just pass on by it. Let me read to you what Ernest Holmes says about this idea of mental equivalence. This is from Living the Science of Mind. He's the founder of, uh, of our major teachings here. And here's what he said. The law of mental equivalence means that everything is consciously and subjectively embodied in our thinking. It means that when we have this mental equivalent, we radiate an atmosphere of vibration and a current of thought, an inward acceptance, if you will, which automatically attracts like to it. And what he means by that is first, we have to be able to accept something in our head. We have to be able to understand some kind of newness in our head before we're gonna let it get into our life. Otherwise, we're just like Yolanda. Someone can offer us the leg up. Someone can offer us a new opportunity. Someone can offer us more joy, more peace, more love. Our very heart's desire could be presented to us on a platter, so to speak, and we'll look over it and say, I'll take the same as I was having yesterday. It's because we haven't opened our heart we haven't opened our minds to a new way of being. All right, so hopefully you're asking, well, how can I do that then? Exactly how can I increase my mental equivalent so more of the good stuff will get in? Well, first of all, I want to say there's an easy answer and a little bit harder answer, and we'll do the, the easy one first. The easy one first, I think, is just that when our heart is open, we're ready to receive. And so anything we can do that will open our heart a bit more gets us in that position of being able to receive, to see new things, to see more ways of being, to accept more good, to accept more love. And heart opening exercises, there's about a bazillion of them there, but you know what? We already did one today. That ability even to go back in our own past and bring up for us a picture of what happiness is like, that opens our heart. It isn't there to, for us to wish I was back there. It isn't there for me to pine away for the good old days when things were better or I was happier. No, it's acting as an illustration of how I feel joy. And when I'm feeling that joy, my heart opens and I'm ready to receive. That's one of the ways that we can increase our mental equivalent. Wouldn't it be nice to know that we can feel that same joy all the time? Well, we can. We can if we can. <laughs> we can if in our own mind is that willingness to feel those feelings again. And you might be saying, but Larry, that's sort of putting the cart before the horse, isn't it? To be feeling the feelings and thinking the thoughts before the joyous stuff happens? Trouble is... We kind of, our thought, we're used to thinking a little bit backwards. We're used to thinking, I have to wait for the good stuff and then I feel happy. I have to wait for whatever it is. I have to wait for that retirement to finally happen. I have to wait till I get that better job. I have to wait until my relationship smooths out. I have to wait until the kids are off to college. Whatever it is, right? We're going to wait until the circumstances are just right. And then I can bloom, then I can feel happy. This is backwards. The trouble with this is, it's backwards. First, it's in our heart. First, it's in our mind. We build the mental equivalent first, or that day will never come. We will always find something that will keep us too busy 
to know that we don't have to sleep on the couch anymore. We will always find things that will be upsetting so that we never get what we deserve if we think we gotta wait for some outside stimulus. It's right here, it's the inside job. So what else can you do to build up a greater mental equivalent? You know what? There are other people on this planet, although from day to day, I think I'm the only one here. And, and, and of course, each of us in our own way thinks of ourselves kind of as the center of the universe. Uh, I will suggest that the people around us are our best educators. When we simply take a moment to observe joy going on out in the world in other people, we can learn a lot about ourselves. You know, I had the opportunity of riding in a car uh, not too long ago with someone who enjoys car racing. And although the situation was interesting, we were in like a 15 mile an hour zone, uh, this, uh, this young gentleman decided, well, we could do it at about 40. And so we're whipping around literally a cemetery, <laughs> and I'm, and I'm kind of thinking I'm at Le Mans, you know? But what I got from that was, I've never felt the exhilaration of joy that one could get from racing a car. And I got to tell you, now this doesn't mean that I'm going to drive out to PIR and sign up for, for, for car racing lessons, but I learned something about myself by observing him. He lit up. When he was talking about driving fast, he lit up. And what I could see he was feeling, even as he was talking about, is a kind of joy that I don't feel that often. That joy of exhilaration. And I, what I know about exhilaration, I don't need to be driving a fast car to do that. But it's a little bit missing from my life. Do you know what I mean? And so I am setting myself up for the rest of this summer to feel a little bit more of that kind of joy. Not racing in cars, mind you. Uh, but I remembered that hiking in the gorge does that for me. And it has probably been 10 years since I've gone on a nice, long, enjoyable hike in the Columbia River Gorge. Been on shorter ones, but a nice, day-long uh, uh, hike. Look around you. There are people in the world experiencing the kinds of joy that you probably haven't in a long time, or the depth of joy that maybe you've been missing out on. When you see someone lit up, does everybody know what that means, by the way? Do you know what it means when someone is lit up? Because it's kind of hard to describe. I'm not really talking about being able to see auras or something like that. Although I would bet if you can see auras when someone's lit up, I bet they're really lit up. But what I'm talking about is just the face lights up. They look 20 years younger. They're talking about their grandkids or they're talking about their hobby or in the case of, uh, of racing cars, they're talking about racing. Whatever it is, you suddenly see that they are lit up like a candle. This is a person you can learn something from. Doesn't mean that you have to do what they do. You don't need to pick up whatever hobby they've encountered or you don't need to have grandkids of your own. But what you can learn from them is to expand your own mental equivalent. If joy is to be had with other people, let's find out more about that. If joy is to be had from an exhilarating experience, let's find out more about that. How can we apply how someone else has it felt intense joy in their lives to our own mental equivalent, to our own ability to stretch and understand more of who we are and how we can experience more love or more joy 
more peace. Do you see what I'm saying? If we only go for this idea of joy from our own current experience of joy, we're not going to get any further. We'll, we'll kind of max out at whatever our current idea of joy is. So we've got to get out of ourselves a little bit. We've got to interact with other people. We've got to uh, uh, learn from books and, you know, even movies and things. How do people in the world experience joy? And what does it feel like to them? Last week when I was talking about joy after the, the sermon in the afterwards program, uh, someone said something about, well, I don't know that I resonate with the word joy. And it occurred to me, yeah. Isn't that a little bit of the problem? Each one of us defines even the words we use around happiness or joy or bliss or contentment. Even the words we use are subtly different because each of us has our own mental equivalent. Each of us thinks, oh, this is what joy is. This is what happiness is. Bliss? I don't know. Bliss just sounds kind of highfalutin. I'm not even sure that I know what bliss is, right? Do you know what I mean? When we have defined what it is for us, we can expand into it. When we begin building that mental equivalent, we can begin experiencing more and greater. The other thing I want to talk to today is another way of experiencing greater joy in our own lives. And, and I think the best place to start with this is a, a kind of a funny story. Uh, for those of you uh, who maybe have a, a tradition in Islam, uh, you may already know about the folk character Mullah Nasruddin. Does that sound familiar to you? Yeah, a few of you know this. Okay, so Mullah Nasruddin is kind of the Johnny Appleseed character uh, uh, from uh, ancient Persia. So if it sounds like a folk tale, you're, you're right in line. This is an absolute folk tale. All right, so Mullah and his donkey have been frequently crossing the border between Persia and Turkey. As time goes on, the customs officials on both sides of the border notice that Nazruddin seems to be getting increasingly rich. With each crossing, his clothes get finer. He's even beginning to wear elegant perfumes and jewelry. Now, the officers are quite sure that he's smuggling contraband. He's known to be a character. They thoroughly and exhaustively search him, his clothes, his donkey, even the donkey's hay. They're going through it with a fine-tooth comb. Sure, they're going to find some contraband. But each time they search, they come up empty. Nothing is ever found. Well, years pass, and one of the customs officials sees Nazruddin shopping in the bazaar. He says, Mola, you know, I'm now retired. I have a generous pension, and I want nothing from you other than just to find out. We could never catch you. What were you smuggling? Mola smiles and says one word, camels. <laughs> he was smuggling the camels. Perhaps what you are searching for is that close to you. Perhaps the joy that you seek is right in plain sight, just as invisible to the customs agents as the camels in that story. Could it be that in a drop of water, could it be in the, in, in the person that you, you sit across the table from at meals, could it be that exactly who you are and what you are right now has what it needs always to be joyous? 
do we spend our lives searching for the contraband? Do we, do we spend a good deal of our time looking outward, trying to find the answer to the secret of life when it is always to be seen in the mirror, when it is as close as our own imagination, as our own heart? I'm going to offer up another tool for finding joy. The next time you're in a situation where you're a little anxious or a little bored, if life is presenting itself as a little bit tedious, maybe you're in the line at the DMV to get your driver's license renewed. Maybe you are, um, I don't know, maybe you're waiting at the dentist, not sure if it's just a, a, a checkup this time or if you've got a cavity. One of those times when you're, you're, you're kind of a uh, hard-pressed to say there's joy going on in your life. Nothing tragic, but you're just wishing you were feeling a little better, a little different. I would like you to simply look around you. Within your very sight are things and people and ideas that will remind you of something pleasant and something good. So the other day I was at the dentist's office and I had to wait about a half an hour and and the story I'm portraying is pretty accurate because I was beginning to feel a little bit of sensitivity on one of my teeth and I'm thinking, oh no, I don't want a cavity Uh, or worse, you know, a fracture or something. So I noticed that I'm sitting there kind of anxious, kind of worried and I think, well, what can I do about this? And so I put this idea into practice, and I spent a half an hour marveling over magazines. Not reading them, marveling over them. Have you ever really thought about what goes into producing a magazine, to the glorious glossy photos, to setting up the photo shoots and the the, the beauty of the paper they're ever printed? I mean, I know you're thinking I'm crazy, and that's okay. I've gotten over the fact that people think I'm crazy sometimes. But if you really examine just the everyday objects around you, there is wonder in them. I did it also um, last night at Safeway. So, uh, so I was at Safeway. And if you go to Safeway late at night, you discover that there's only one checker. <laughs> and, uh, and as it happens, there are quite a few people trying to check out. And so I'm thinking, well, okay, I actually have a choice here, right? I can be the, I can be the person that sits there and thinks, you know, gosh darn these Safeway people. Can't they anticipate that some of us shop at night? And I can be huffing and, 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 and posturing and pissed off and wishing I was at home in bed instead of getting these beautiful gladiolas that we have up here. And instead, I said to myself, wait a minute. Or I could admire the beautiful gladiolas. Or, right? It's like, I'm going to be there in that line anyway. Isn't it a choice? I can be pissed off. Or, so what I'm asking you to do is look for the or. This time, this week, when you find yourself put upon or, or not enjoying what you're doing, if you find yourself in a long line somewhere, wishing you were somewhere else, take that moment to just cast your imagination and your net out a little bit. I was never so fascinated last night in my life as I was looking at Bert's B's lip gloss. <laughs> Can you, (laughs) maybe I am crazy, but I tell you, 
It's like just the thought about somehow some people somewhere realized that you could get beeswax and that that might be a good thing for keeping one's lips from getting blistered and dry in the winter. And it's in these glorious little tubes. And I know, of course, all the women here are going like lipstick, Larry, think about it. It's been around for hundreds of years. But have you really thought about it? It is our choice to feel what we're going to feel. It is our choice to respond to the universe. Sometimes the universe will present us with such great delight, and sometimes the universe will present us with the opposite. How we respond to it, what we feel about it, our reaction to it is 100% up to us. If you're going to be at the dentist, sure, you could be pissed off. It's your choice. If you're anxious at the line at Safeway, sure, go ahead. Be anxious. We have choices, though. Homework this week. Are you ready for a little bit of homework? Because I think we're going to have fun with this. One of them you can already guess. Next time you're upset, next time you're troubled, next time you're waiting in line, next time you're impatient, just look around you. If Silly Larry can find a certain amount of joy in a tube of lip gloss, I'm relatively certain that she'll be even more creative than that. Maybe you'll marvel as the belt that carries the groceries. Where does it go? (laughs) Right? I know I'm being silly. And maybe silliness is part of the solution. So that's your homework this week. Next time you're feeling grumpy, next time you're feeling uh, like you should be doing something else or be somewhere else, look around you and find some quiet, small joy in the world because it is there and it is your choice whether you want to feel that quiet joy, whether you want to admire the flowers that are on the belt or whether you want to be pissed off. So make sure you know it's your choice and that it's what you want to be doing and what you want to be feeling. The other thing, the other bit of homework this week, I think is equally simple, but I want us all to work on expanding our mental equivalent of what joy is. So begin observing other people. When other people are lit up, talking about, I don't know, demolition derbies or car races or, or sitting quietly in meditation, whatever it is that lights some, someone else up has the potential for expanding your Mental equivalent of what joy is like and what love is like. If we only ever approach this problem, this issue, from our own current consciousness, we will never have a greater ability to experience any of the things we want in life. We have to expand it. The mental picture, the ability to feel more love and more joy, we have to be able to get it, to understand it, to see it, to believe it, before we can experience it. Do you got it? I think we'll have fun with this one too. So begin observing other people. When they light up, ask them questions. Well, when you're doing that car racing, how do you feel? What is it? What does it create in you? Oh, exhilarate, exhilaration. When was the last time I felt exhilaration? How might I feel that? Begin expanding. I'm going to close today with a, a quote from this lovely book on awakening joy by James Barron. And this is, uh, this is what he says um, about some of the practices that we're learning this week. He says, by following the practices offered in this book, you've already taken several steps towards living a more joyful life. 
You've learned the power of setting your intention and developing the tools of mindfulness to support wise choices for feeling the present moment. You've also explored how an open heart lets you see life full of blessings. Yes, you can keep your heart open to all of life's good. Let us pray. There is one power, there's one presence, there's one life, there's one love. I call it God, but call it what you will. It is joyous. It it created this entire universe out of love, out of joy, out of and seeking its own happiness. And I know it's true for me. I know I'm right in the middle of it, that my life is filled with the joy as I accept it, that my own life is filled with goodness as I perceive it, that the sweetness, the beauty of the world around me is there as I notice it. And as it is true for me, I know it is true for each person in this room, that each person in this room need look no further than their own heart and their own mind to experience the joy that they so very richly deserve. And this week, we bust through those old mental equivalents. Each one of us has that capability of expanding what joy, what happiness, what love is for each of us. And I'm grateful for this. I'm grateful for God showing up as the hearts, the hands, the minds right in this room. Grateful for the presence of love. I simply let it be, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. So glad you're here today.